Welcome to the Tournament of Everything, a bracket-style show where we compare random pages off Wikipedia to other equally random pages off Wikipedia. That's right, and we do so by wandering through an old wardrobe to find a magical land full of talking creatures. We meet a mysterious, cold-looking queen who feeds us sweet treats, only to eventually betray our greatest friend and savior, who shall come back from the very dead and tell us that indeed the answer to all questions is moving on to the next round. Of that tournament. <laughs> Sorry. It seems like a lead up. It seems like the perfect opportunity to jump right in with some music on your Hansel and Gretel in a zombie remake. Hansel, Gretel, zombies, all my second favorite things to the first round of the ultimate tournament of every round. Now, before we jump in, let's explain a little bit of how we're going to do this tonight, Rob. Well, you should have said that before I jumped right in. Well, when you're anxious, you are. So let's be where we be and uh, explain how we do what we do. So what we actually do is we have a random Wikipedia page generator link. We click on that twice and it gives us two competitors. We compare them, learn a little bit about them, and figure out which one of them would move which one of them would move on if we had to pick only one, and we do into our next round of this tournament. That's right. And as previously stated, we find ourselves in the first round with two competitors. Let's meet them now. Our first competitor is Tavit, a municipality, and E. Spencer Schubert, an American artist and sculptor. Ah, we have one place full of beauty. We have one individual that creates beauty. Let's see which performance will be beautiful enough to move them on to the next round. Tavit is a former municipality that was located in the old Vest Adger County in Norway. The 107 square kilometer municipality existed from 1838 until it was dissolved in 1965. So was this place made of like uh, salt or sugar or something that it just it just dissolved and disappeared like that? Yeah, it must have rained or something. Or that word has multiple meanings in English, possibly. Well, perhaps this place was made of sugar, spice, and everything nice. Um, but what we do know is that it was established as a municipality in uh, January 1st of 1838 uh, during the 1960s. There were many municipality merge or municipal mergers across Norway due to the work of the Shy Committee. Um, and eventually, it seems that this was formed with others to form a new, larger municipality of Christiansand. It was initially named after an old farm and church that was built there. And the name is identical with the word fit, which means a piece of cleared land cut from a forest. So I'm assuming there were lots of trees. They cut them down and they said, hey, let's live here. And they kept doing that until some towns are like, hey, we're basically the same town. Can we stop calling yours this thing? That's right. So all of them became one name that was identical. But a name that is not identical to it is the name of our other competitor, E. Spencer Schubert, the American artist sculptor known for his busts and monumental sculpture. So my question is, if your first name is Edward, why not use it? Is there another Edward Spencer Schubert out there that is taking this guy's thunder? We had to go, no, not Edward. I am E. Spencer Schubert. Uh, likely, uh, because if you're already getting to the point where you have to add in your middle name, uh, you know, there could definitely be redundancies here. Additionally, he's an artist. He wants to express himself. And perhaps he feels that the very first part of himself is only indicated, whereas the middle and last parts are preset. Uh, but that's abstract and I'm abstracting. So let's continue to reference the materials. He has cited the work of French sculptor Auguste Rodin as a significant influence on his style. And when sculpting real persons, 
He studies the personalities of his subjects to learn about the undefinable things that have nothing to do with the length of his femur. That's in quotes. It's kind of an interesting thing to say. He is most known for busts for the Hall of Famous Missourians and for some controversy when he sculpted Rush Limbaugh. Ah, that must have taken a lot of uh, copper. <laughs> yeah, guy's got a big head. Now, he did say in response that you can create portraits of people with whom you disagree, and you don't have to like somebody to sculpt their face out of metal. No, absolutely not. I'm sure that, uh, it, you know, if you are a sculptor, there's a lot in, you know, a, a face that just gives you the willies that uh, perhaps would be interesting to try and sculpt out there. Looking here, though, uh, as you said, famous Missourians, uh, there's a few examples. His bust of Buck O'Neill looks wonderful. The sculpture of Coach Bill Snyder outside of Kansas State University standing tall, looking great. And in fact, there's even a sculpture of Sacred Heart of Jesus at the monument at Benedictine College. He designed three sculptures serving as the centerpiece of Gateway Park in Fort Smith, Arkansas in 2019, and the statues were of local heroes, Judge Isaac Parker, Educator John Carnell, and Mother Superior Mary Teresa Farrell. So this guy's done a lot of things, made a lot of people out of metal, but does he have what it takes to beat this small used-to-be town in Norway? Well, if you want to talk about significant individuals and this town, you would be remiss to not mention the municipal council. Uh, it was made up of representatives elected to four-year terms, um, basically uh, made up of different uh, numbers of representatives from different parties. Uh, they worked together. They did a whole bunch of stuff, um, but all of it is passing. But I believe that E. Spencer Schubert's sculptures are forever. And Rob, that is why tonight in this very first round of the Ultimate Tournament of Everything, I am placing my stamp down for E. Spencer Schubert. You know, I would have to agree with you. A town that was a never been and now is a never was cannot beat this man. So E. Spencer Schubert, you are our pick in this round. The Ultimate Tournament of Everything. Congratulations. You went absolutely nothing, but you're in round two. If you continue on your path, someone may make a bust of you. Let's not waste any time and proceed to round two. It's time for round two. You know, Mike, that was an absolutely lovely rhyme. That was just a great job at tying that together. So very, very appreciated. So our competitors in round two are Seymour River, which is a river in Canada, and Under and Steinhimmel, which means under a stone sky in Russian. Mm. So a river may run through it over stones, yet this uh, stone sky may run over a river. Let's see which approach is going to land them forward into the next round of the ultimate tournament of everything. Under and Steinhimmel is a Norwegian war film directed by Knut Andersen, Igor Meslesnikov, and Stanislav Rotaski. The film is a fictionalized portrayal of historical events. Yes, very, very dramatic. The film tells the story of people that moved into the mine shafts in eastern Finnmark County, Norway, during the Second World War, seeking to escape the evacuation and burning of Finnmark. During the winter of 1944, the mines had a population between 2,000 and 3,000 people, and they faced the danger of German forces hearing about this and taking action before the Russians managed to liberate the area. So it's a a World War II historical drama. Oof. Two or 3,000 people living down in some mines, hiding from Germans. Does not sound like uh, the best time. Uh, it doesn't sound very relaxing or, or in any way scenic. Um, but speaking of relaxing and scenic, let's jump over to our other competitor, the Seymour River. This is a river in North Vancouver, British Columbia. BC for my Canadian friends, 
which is notable for being several degrees warmer than other streams and lakes in the area due to being fed from a large reservoir backed up behind a dam with a constant flow of water released from it. Ah, that is uh, certainly fascinating. I don't like to be too cold while I'm swimming. If, I, if I'm too cold when I'm swimming, I'm not going to be swimming for long. So the Seymour Dam is sounding pretty good. Uh, the Seymour River, rather. Uh, I mentioned the dam because it has been the main water supply to North Vancouver since 1907, and the first intake of which was built in that year of the Seymour Dam, and constructed, uh, which was constructed in 1927. Now, there is also the Seymour River Suspension Bridge, which was built in 2018. Once again, hiking and mountain biking trails on the east and west sides of the river are connected. Rivers are great, but when a river runs through it, sometimes you can't get from one side to the other. So this bridge definitely fixes that problem. That's right. Uh, Unless you happen to have a spare Brad Pitt handy. Um, Now... I think that speaking of Brad Pitt, he might have helped the uh, ratings and perhaps box office of the other competitor film under Einstein Himmel, uh, of course, the Russian film. Um, what we know, it was directed by Newt Anderson and a few others, um, starring Arnie Lee and, and a cast of other wonderful actors and distributed by Len Film Studio. Yeah, look at all those Norwegians. Mm, yes, uh, 85 minutes of them. In fact, uh, you know, I this does sound like a pretty interesting movie. I, I'm not going to lie. It sounds dramatic, and, and I, I would definitely like to know how it ends. They do not spoil it in this Wikipedia article. Um, but I kind of feel like whether you're where it starts or whether you're where it ends, there's almost nothing that could spoil a trip. To the Seymour River. I really think the river has to be the winner of this round for no other reason than our movie friend was filmed in a country that was also dissolved, the USSR. Yeah, we have a common theme of uh, things dissolving, uh, just disappearing under their very feet, uh, which is not a good grounds for strategy here in the ultimate tournament of everything. And that is why Seymour River, you are moving on to the next round of the ultimate tournament of everything. Rivers do pretty well, as we've learned. Yep, they are persistent and they will carve out a victory eventually. Um, you know, rivers don't stop, times don't stop, and this competition doesn't stop. So let's continue on to round three. Three. It's time for round three. In round three. Oh boy, here we go. We have Saccharalapalaspora halatolarans. Halatolarans? Yeah. One more time. Saccharalaspora halatolarans. There we go. It is a bacteria. Not a moth. <laughs> Great. That's that's like the whole article. We found a bacteria in soil in China in a name I can't pronounce that's in Latin. So that's one competitor. It's second competitor in what I think is going to be a very short fight is Ambition Without Honor, a Japanese direct-to-video Yakuza film. Okay, very exciting round. Uh, you know, we've got the big budget straight to video, uh, you know, Japanese film Ambition Without Honor, the sequel against the small bacteria-sized, I'm going to take a stab here, Saccharopolyspora holotorians, the bacterium. So I I am excited. Uh, Let's jump right into this. Where should we start? I think we should start with the one that has any information. The bacteria one is literally the name. It's a holophilic bacterium from the genus Saccharopolyspora. Good luck with that which has been isolated from soil in a salt lake in China. That's the article. So there we go. But not nearly as fun as Ambition Without Honor 2 that follows 
the lives of these Japanese gangsters. Yes, uh, Yakuza films are a, it's a popular film genre in Japanese cinema, which focuses on the lives and dealings of Yakuza, Japanese organized crime syndicates. Um, it even goes back to the silent film era where they were even depicted as sympathetic Robin Hood-like characters. Yeah, I don't know if they're actually Robin Hood-like characters. Every time I see the Yakuza mentioned, it's generally not a good thing. So we have essentially a bacteria that could probably make you sick against a group of people that would probably hurt you. What a well, choice. I mean, they only hurt you if you don't if you don't pay up, you know? Or uh, what do they say? Uh, snitches get stitches. Um, but what do bacterium get? Uh, they seem to kind of just be able to do their thing. Uh, this seems to be. A, a fairly unique entity here on Earth. Uh, it's been isolated from the soil in a salt lake in that specific place in China. Um, whereas I would imagine those straight to video, those videos have probably been distributed across the world. Pro or con? Yeah, it's a great question. I think they're both every once in a while. You just get a race to the bottom. I am going to let, I think, the world decide. And I'm going to put it up to a random number to figure out which one is the winner. They're that uh, that great, sort of. <laughs> that is a fair approach. That's half a vote in neither direction. I'm going to throw my vote down with conviction for our good friend, the Bacterium. You know, uh, it's the little fighter that could. It's, it's like Rocky coming out, uh, fighting against Apollo Creed, the small unknown fighter. Uh, you know, I think it's going to do big things down the line. And so I'd like to throw my stamp down for Sakaro Polyspora Terrence. That's my choice to move on to the next round of... You heard it here first, folks. The bacteria we can't pronounce is better than the Japanese film we haven't seen. <laughs> is it time hey, for round oh. four yet? <laughs> it sure is. And I'm really excited to get to more unpronounceable words in round four. Ah, my round four is ready. In round four, we have a local favorite Richland County, Wisconsin, against Tana Brown, an American violinist and mezzo-soprano. Okay. Uh, we have one individual that can play and sing, but we have one place that might play on your heartstrings. Let's see which one is going to take first place here in the first round of the Ultimate Tournament of Everything. Richland County is a county in the U.S. state of Wisconsin. Has a population of 17,000 people and is the county seat. The county seat there is Richland Center. The county was created from the Wisconsin Territory in 1842 and organized in 1850, and it is named for the high quality of its soil. Ah, uh, it was the rich land, the good land. Um, and you'll notice that it's pretty much in the southwest land of the state there uh if as they say uh wisconsin is a mitten this is right about where uh the your palm would start turning into your wrist um you know i'm looking at uh where this is i'm looking at the the town you know i i know wisconsin fairly well but i, I don't seem to know much of the things that are going on here is is there much going on here in ridgeland Count Richland County? There is not. There are about 7,000 households in the county. Population is very spread out. There's a lot of land here, mostly a small farming community, even to this day. Towns, which we all know the names of, such as Akan, Bloom, Buena Vista, Eagle, Henrietta, and Rockbridge. You know, just really common household names for towns in Wisconsin that everybody knows. Yeah, uh, I would wait. Sure, there's uh, some good cheese, uh, maybe some good corn, definitely some good Packer fans out there. Um, but, you know, I don't know what else. Don't want to put it down in any way. But uh, before we lift it up too much, let's take a look over at our other uplifting contestant, Tona Brown. 
She was born December 30th, 1979, and she performs internationally and, as the, and is also the first transgender woman to perform at Carnegie Hall. She was the first African-American transgender woman to perform for an American president. If you want to get to Carnegie Hall, they say the way to do so is practice, practice, practice. And uh, now Brown, she struggled all her life with her gender identity, but all during her life as well. Uh, you know, she it was uh, an artist. Uh, she started playing violin at the age of 10, attended the governor's school for arts uh, and arts a uh, high school program for gifted and talented students uh, and formally educated at the Shenandoah Conservatory of Music. Yeah, she studied violin performance with minors in viola, piano, and voice. She's, yeah. been, she's been on some tours. She's sang at the White House. She's actually been in a lot of things, uh, movies, documentaries, she lists as, as her influences. She's an advocate for transgender issues in arts and participates in speaking engagements, primarily on the East Coast. Focuses on transgender issues in her online TV series, Conversations with Tana Brown. So she even has her own show. That's fantastic. She's out there. She's crushing it. Um, and uh, if she was to go on tour, perhaps she would get booked for a venue in the small county of Richland, Wisconsin. Um, I don't know what's the biggest town. Looks like Richland Center, the county seat, might be the largest town. Um, where do you think she would be most likely to perform in this county, Rob? Definitely Richland Center, because there's also an airport. Ah, so it would be convenient and a lovely way to spend the evening. Um, you could... Uh, I, do anything you like, I suppose. Now, it's interesting to me that this is uh, perhaps the first American town that has had the household statistic. Yeah, yeah. Usually it's just small towns in Iran. Now, interesting crossover here. There's a village in mm -hmm. Richland County named Viola. So maybe Tana Brown would bring her Viola for her concert. Well, um, she may, but didn't she play the violin? She studied both. Okay, yeah, there's a lot of crossover there. Uh, what a talented individual versus a uh, potentially beautiful place. However, I think that the scales have been tipped towards Tona, and I'm going to send Miss Tona Brown on to the next round with my vote of the ultimate tournament of everything. What say you, Robert? Oh, this is a tough one. She's very talented, but the other one has cheese. But also... I'm not comparing cheese. I'm comparing the town. Oh, it, I mean, it's a whole county. Let's let's it, give it its due. That's true. It's it's a whole. You know what? You know what? I think you tipped it for me. I I think we do. Oh. We do need a tiebreaker. I think we do. I think it's the only way. So I think the only fair way to do this is we will go to Richland County, and we will each eat cheese curds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm in till we get sick. Okay. And the person who gets sick the fastest loses. All right. All right. Um, but I am not currently in Wisconsin, and uh, I'm feeling not like traveling right now. Uh, however, I did just purchase this big, huge, random number between 1 and 10,000 machines. So what do you say I rev it up and see what we get? Sure. We can try that. All right, <clears throat> here we go. Well, that sounds weird. Is your machine broken? Nope, nope, that's exactly right. And uh, Rob, here, why don't you read the results for us? 1,581, which would mean something if either one of us picked a number. <laughs> I was too excited about my random number machine, but proof of concept, it works. I will take that as my number, um, and you can guess your own, and we'll pull another. I'm going to guess three. Let's hit that machine one more time. Oh, it sounds different now. Oh. There's the number. Uh, 1,677, making Tana Brown our winner. Well, hello, Tana Brown, and welcome to the next round of... The Ultimate Tournament of Everything. 
I cannot wait for round five, so we're going to jump right in. In round five, we have the MHRA Style Guide against the 1964 NCAA University Division football season. Okay, we've got an acronym about style versus an acronym with style. Let's see which one is going to find their way to victory here tonight in the ultimate tournament of everything. The MHRA Style Guide is a handbook for authors, editors, and writers of theses, formerly the MHRA Style Book. It's an academic style guide published by Modern Humanities Research Association, and it is the most widely used in the arts and humanities in the UK where it is based. Okay, so yeah, uh, definitely it's got rules on how to write and things. Uh, but initially, this uh, book and guide were only available for sale in the UK and United States. But as of 2015, 50,000 copies of all editions published between 1971 and 2013 have been sold worldwide. Well, that's fun. Now, they are on their third edition, that and that can be downloaded free as a PDF mm -hmm. formatted uh on their website, and since 2017, an online version is available in full and in a condensed quick guide format, also free. Yep. Uh, there's no style better than a freestyle. That's what I always say. Um, and as far as freestyle sports goes, uh, I think that freestyle football is one that people don't talk about enough. And speaking of, let's talk about. 1964 NCAA University Division football season. The NCAA was without a playoff for the major college football teams in the University Division, later known as Division 1A during the 20th century. The NCAA recognizes Division 1A national champions based on final results of polls, including the wire service and an AP poll. So it sounds like they didn't uh, compete as much as they just asked people, who do you think is better? That's how they did it for quite a long time. Uh, it's been a very contentious thing. They now have their playoff system, as mentioned. But, yeah, it was just kind of opinionated. And so you'd get conflict. In fact, this 1964 season ended with controversy as to whether Alabama or Arkansas should be recognized as the national champion. Well, clearly Alabama uh, you might think so. Uh, they did finish with a season record of 10-0, and 0, ranked at number one in the final AP and UPI po coaches polls. Um, they were considered the national champions, but Arkansas, they were ranked number two in the AP and UPI uh, polls. They defeated number six Nebraska in the Cotton Bowl, uh, and they did a bunch of other things that made people think that they were deserving of the crown. Arkansas is recognized as the 1964 national champion by the, the Billingsley Report, College Football Researchers Association, the Helms Athletic Foundation, and the National Championship Foundation. So it sounds like, for how much I love Alabama, it does not matter. Arkansas was the winner. I mean... Where have we, how have we gotten to the point where so many things, it's, you can't tell who won or who lost? You know, people are just like disagreeing on that. Look, there's winners and losers in life, and that's great. The ability to be able to lose makes us winners. However, not here in the ultimate tournament of everything, where winning is all that matters. And that being said, let's jump over again to the style guide and see how it's looking. I'm looking. Look, condensed. It's, it's a loser. I'm looking at it again, and it is a loser. It's nothing but rules, man. Don't restrict my writing. Um, it's, you know, commas. It's about uh, punctuation and verbiage. Um, however, I, look, clearly this season of football was indescribable. <laughs> I don't know why we're wasting time talking about this silly style book. It can't throw a football. It didn't win a bowl game. It did nothing other than help people write theses. 
That's right. Gather your teammates in the end zone, spike the ball, and pretend that it was some sort of fictitious explosion because you can celebrate your victory. And moving on to the next round of the ultimate tournament of everything. Style book. You're not football style book. You lose. You lose. Making a turn around the last curve. He comes, he comes around the last second. There you have it. There is your winner. Round six. I really hope that our next competitors do better than the MHRA style guide. We have in round six Beacon Square, Florida against listed buildings in Aston Comaton. Yes, we do. Let's talk about Beacon Square, Florida. Uh, the first contestant that you mentioned, the census-designated place in Florida with a population of 7,263. As of the 2000 census, that was quite some time ago, but perhaps things don't change much down in Beacon Square. That's right. There are... 3,500 households, 2,000 families residing in them, population density of 3,633.4 inhabitants per square mile, 17% of the houses have children in them, population is spread out in age range, and the median income for a household is actually incredibly low here, $27,000, medium income for a family is 33, so really kind of a low income area in Florida. Yeah. Um, now, okay. This was back in 2000. Uh, so, you know, the, it was worth a little bit more then, but it wasn't like back in the day when you could get a sack of flour for a nickel. Um, it looks like about 8.1% of the families and 9.5% of the population are below the poverty line, uh, including six, 186 of those under the age of 18. Um, so yeah, uh, Hard-working, struggling individuals there. Uh, however, I'm sure that it's lovely being down in Florida. Um, speaking of lovely, there's nothing lovelier than uh, perhaps a building listed in Aston Camaton. Now, this is a civil parish in the metropolitan borough of Rotterdam, South Yorkshire, England. The parish contains 25 listed buildings that are recorded in the National Heritage List of England. And of these, one is listed as grade one, which is the highest grade you can get. The last time that we talked about uh, a place that had graded buildings in England, the highest grade that they hit, I believe, from my recollection, was a two star. And uh, while this you know, list does include one grade two star, we have not yet seen a grade one building until now. Now, most of the listed buildings are houses and associated structures, farmhouse, farm buildings. There's also a church, gate piers, and a gravestone, which I wouldn't call a building, but okay, in a former school, even used as a reading room. There, This is a pretty extensive list, uh, a pretty impressive list of buildings to be in a single place, um, but... I mean, they're they're all old, and if they just last long enough, they'll be old. These don't seem to be terribly old. Uh, it looks like 1729. We've got a gravestone, uh, but by my eyes, that is the oldest thing there as far as England goes. That's not terribly aged. Yeah, I think the king might have actually been at some of these places as a boy. That's how old he is. But there are some cool names here. We have Falconer Farmhouse. There's a place called Tall Trees or High Trees, Fence Farmhouse, Hardwick Fall Farmhouse. I think it's a pretty cool place. It does look like a pretty cool place. Um, but, hey, if we're going to talk about cool places, we should probably also talk about warm places, which include but are not limited to Beacon Square Florida. Uh, down there in Florida, it's on the uh, coast of the Gulf of Mexico. You get warm waters down there, uh, big storms as well. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that it is quite lovely for much of the year. Probably minus hurricane season. Yes, 
Yes. Well, so you get hurricane season, though, but that's in in the fall into winter. And that's just after you survived summer and it does get hot and humid. So you just kind of hold on for January through March, I'd imagine. You're really not making Beacon Square sound better. No, I'm not. And that's why I am choosing this beautiful list of listed buildings from Aston Camarton as my selection to move on to the next round of... The ultimate tournament of everything. I think that's very much a fair choice. While it is kind of nice to be in Florida... The best part about Florida is being able to leave. So I'm going to have to agree with you, and I'm going to have to move that list of wonderful buildings into the next round. You get a grade one in our book. You're moving on. Mike, what is the next round? The next round is the subsequently numbered round, formerly known as round seven. Round seven. In round seven, we have Blackmore Priory against Ideal Georgia. Uh, two locations, Blackmore versus Ideal. Will Blackmore have more than it takes? Will Ideal have the Ideal performance? Tune in right now to find out. Here we go. Blackmore Priory is, it was, in Essex, England. It was established by the Augustinian Priory with a prior and 12 canons who were not monks but ordained priests. So not the canon like in a war, but the canon like a person. They would be expected to work in the parish as well as lead a a monastic, there we go, life in the priory. The buildings were begun in the second half of the 12th century. Now we're getting some older buildings. As some of the original architecture can still be seen in what is now the Parish Church of St. Lawrence, notably the door between the later bell tower and the nave, which was once the main entrance. The heyday of the Priory was around the end of the 14th century when not a single roof was placed over the nave and aisles. The timber bell tower dates from the 1400s, and Henry VIII was a frequent visitor. If Henry VIII went there, it must have been pretty good. One might say ideal, but speaking of ideal, let's talk about that small town in Georgia, Ideal. Now, this town was originally named Joe Town. That's right. The name Joe plus the word town, Joe Town. (laughs) But when two railroad executives stopped in the town, one proclaimed it an ideal place for a railroad station, and the other declared he'd just name it that. (laughs) I love the folksiness of, you know, towns back then. A lot of towns, I mean, every state has a Springfield. You know, that doesn't really mean anything unless your last name happens to be Springfield. I guess then it'd be pretty cool. But, you know, this is some guy named Joe, you know, rolled in there one day and declared this Joe town. And then later someone else just had a different idea and people roll with it. You know, that's the beautiful thing. And people rolled with this idea until the Georgia General Assembly eventually incorporated Ideal as an official town in 1906. And by town, we're being very generous with that word. It has a total area of 1.2 square miles and about 500 people. Awesome. Yet for all of those 500 people, it has two spring-fed tributaries of the Flint River, Rob. Well, that's kind of nice, getting the Flint River represented. But the question is, if I had to pick one to visit, would it be Ideal Georgia or Joetown against the Blackmore Priory? And I got to say, I don't think Ideal is really that great. Ideal, I am not a railroad baron nor a railroad executive. And so, you know, one man's trash is another man's ideal Georgia. And so I'm going to have to agree with you, Rob, and double down on Blackmore Priory as being our prior selection. Prior? Our being our... Uh, Current? Yeah, not uh, our main. There's a P word that starts, you know, that 
means main principle. Principal selection to move on to the next round of the ultimate tournament of everything. Between hey, the two we- of us, we have a nearly functioning vocabulary. Yeah, can we go back and bring back that style guide again? Because I think that would actually be useful. That might be. That might be. But not in round eight. I say, would you by chance have any round eight? Round eight! In round eight, we have Paul McDonald against Avicala. Aviocala? Aviocala. There we go. We've got an individual who ruled on the football field versus an individual who ruled in the Byzantine era. Let's see which one of these is going to be able to make their kingdom in this next round of the Ultimate Tournament of Everything. Paul McDonald, born February 23, 1958, is a former American football quarterback in the NFL. He played for the Cleveland Browns and the Dallas Cowboys. He played college football at the University of Southern California. Known for his poise and as a winner, he finished his college career with a 22-1-1 and record, holding an NCAA mark for the lowest interception percentage in a career at 2.3%. Looks like he was pretty good, but unfortunately he played for the Browns and they were pretty bad. In the NFL, he played 85 games, Threw for 24 touchdowns and 37 inter- interceptions and ended with a passer rating of 65.7. You know, not the best, not the best. He played for a number of teams, as you said, the Browns. Uh, he was drafted by them in the fourth round. Played for the Seahawks, the Cowboys, uh, eventually retired. Um, and then after football, he went into business, working as a financial consultant for Merrill Lynch. He even did radio color commentary for the USC Trojan football games and lives in Newport Beach, California. He received the award for being the best radio color analyst given yearly by the Southern California Sports Broadcasters Association and even co-authored a book, Through the Tunnel, True Stories of Sports and Life that Empower Your Spirit. It came out this year. Oh, so it's uh, he's still a current individual out there inspiring, informing. Um, but, you know, true knowledge transcends time. And uh, if you want to go back in time, you'll probably eventually find yourself at a time known as the Byzantine era, where Aviocala reigned in the Roman province of Africa Proconsularis in northern Tunisia. The town lasted from 30 BC till about 640 AD and has been tentatively identified with stone ruins at Sida Amara in Tunisia. That's right. Uh, the city was actually endowed by a woman of senatorial rank, Osica Modesta Cornelia Patruina uh, Publiana, uh, and a statue of her has been found in the ruins. That lady has too, too many names. The town was also the seat of the Catholic Bishforic in the ecclesiastical province of Carthage, although the diocese ceased to function in the end of the 7th century, and it remains a titular seat in the Roman Catholic Church. Yes, we have really continued our progression backward in time to try and find, uh, you know, the ultimate competitor of all of everything ever. Uh, Aviocala may be that, but they might not because I don't know what they did. That's pretty much the extent of this here article. Yeah, it doesn't really say much other than it existed, but I know who also exists and who is currently doing things, and that's Paul McDonald. Paul McDonald is doing things. Um, that is true. Does but Paul Avio- McDonald have a farm? Aviocala um, definitely might have. Uh, this is so far back. We're talking, uh, what do we say? That it it ceased at the end of the seventh century. When something that you have ends in you know in the seventh century, it started well before that. This town, let's see, 30 BC. Uh, that's a long, long time ago. I'm 
I am kind of taken by this small ancient town. The thing with small ancient towns is we identify them through re- literally their ruins. They do not exist anymore. There was something so great about them that no one decided to live there any longer. And my question is always, why? Because if it's stuck around long enough for us to notice it was there, perhaps it is worthy to stick around to the next round of... The Ultimate Tournament of Everything. I think that's fair. I think Paul McDonald, I might have been wooed by the book writing and the sports announcing, but he was a terrible quarterback, and this place is definitely better at what it is being, which is a town. When you get beat out by Boney, Bernie Kosar, you know you won't go far, including to the next round. So, Avi Akala, we are giving you the call to move up to the next round of the Ultimate Tournament of Everything. It's about time for everybody's favorite round. Let's get it. It's about time for round nine. Round nine. In round nine, we have a newcomer to the competition, somebody fresh out of the sport, the 2022 Auckland Rugby League season against Francois Xavier Fumi Tamuzo. Here we go. He's French. We've got a bunch of uh, rugby players. Uh, They're ballers versus a single baller. Let's see which one is going to be the shot caller and moving on to the next round of the ultimate tournament of everything. Now, this is kind of interesting. We have an entire sports season against one sport player, but we have Auckland rugby against one French soccer player. I think this is going to be a slaughter. Uh, It is a one-sided scrum, and the soccer player won't be able to use his hands. So this is definitely uh, unbalanced. But let's dive right into Francois Xavier Fumo Tamuso's life story and see if he has any redeeming qualities. He's a French professional footballer who plays a striker for Liga 2 club Laval, born April 3rd, 1995, and he's a former France youth international. He's a youth exponent from AJ Auxerre, and he made his Liga 2 debut in 2014 against La Havre AC in a 2-0 home win. That's right. Uh, in fact, in that game, uh, if I recall, he started in the first 11 uh, before being substituted after 76 minutes. Uh, OK, that's not a word that I thought it was. Uh, it looks like on August 4th of 2020, he signed with Maritimo. And on July 28th in 2021, he returned to France and signed a two-year contract with Laval. He was born in France to parents of Democratic Republic, to parents who are from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Yes, this is a talented individual. He's still out there. He's still striving. Speaking of out there right now, competing, fighting for the win. Everybody involved in the 2022 Auckland Rugby League season. Now, this is the 114th season since the founding of the league in 1909. It's been along around for a long, long time. Most definitely. Um, this is a particularly exciting season. Um, it's the... As you said, 114th season, brilliant. This season began with a Northern Regional Age Group representative competition for under-16s, and it's only gone up from there. Um, Looks like there's a whole bunch of teams involved, a bunch of different grades as well. They get as many people playing rugby as humanly possible. Yeah, there is a lot of information to this article. Whoever wrote this, great job. Very detailed. Lots of lots of matches. Lots of rounds. And I've realized I know very little about the sport that is rugby. 
yeah, this might as well be inverse functions again. Uh, really don't have a clue what these stats mean uh, or even who won anything. Um, but you can tell that there were a bunch of winners, scores more people who did not win, and probably exponentially more people who enjoyed watching them do so. Yeah, there are so many results on this page. If I were to read them all, it'd literally just be names and then numbers with words I can't pronounce somewhere in the middle. Speaking of, let's jump back over to Francois Xavier Fumo Tamuso and uh, his height of 1.80 meters. Now that is 5 foot and 11 inches for our friends in America. And he plays striker. He's 27. Maybe he's a Libra and likes long walks on the beach. It's not listed in the article, but I guess it's possible. As he has played more, he's actually appeared less in games, from what I can tell. So he might have been good once, but maybe he's getting worse. Uh, he might be, uh, and I checked it out, Rob. He happens to be an Aries, born on April 3rd, uh, and he also wears the number 14. But I don't think that uh, the stars nor the doubled-up lucky number on his chest are going to be enough to make him victorious here in this, the most ultimate tournament of everything, which is why, Rob. I am choosing the 2022 Auckland Rugby League season as my, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not like actually that, that uh, dead set on it, but I'm leaning towards them. Yeah, I think they're better. I'm going to hit the button. The yeah, it's tough. You get a lot of rugby players against one soccer player, and no matter how interesting he might be, and this guy's kind of not, I think rugby wins. Yeah, yeah, I think rugby, as far as it goes, you got you know soccer, and rugby is like tough soccer, and then football is going to fall somewhere in that equation. I agree with that. So that has been the ultimate tournament of everything. That has been nine rounds, 18 competitors that we have compared randomly in this moment to figure out which of them we like best. Some great, some old, some playing soccer. Now, if you liked any of this, we need a favor from you. The only way people hear about this is comments, likes, and reviews. I hate it, but that's the way the algorithm works. The only way things show up in feeds is if other people interact with them first. Would you give us five stars and move us on to the next round of the ultimate tournament of everything related to podcasts? You can do just that. Your do-do-do-do-do-do-do button is the rating button. You can send comments. You can send blasts to us through Anchor FM. And you can spend your time every day enjoying this content here on the Ultimate Tournament of Everything with our scouting reports and full episodes. Rob, tell them when they can hear us next. Every Tuesday and Thursday, there will be a full-length episode like the one you just heard. And every other day of the week, we'll look at one competitor in that moment to figure out what makes them special. Eventually, everything will appear and everything will compete. Stay tuned for the ultimate tournament of everything. The ultimate tournament of everything.